0: When you think about mindlessness on social media, first of all, you're thinking of when you're on the app and you're like, when did I even get here? (laughs) When Did I open this? How long have I been here?
1: What is happening? I am Al Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favorite above average but infinitely curious podcast dimed out a show that is dedicated to exploring the mysteries and the meaning of life. a kaleidoscope of culture, society, and yeah, it's something like that. Week we are diving into the fawny rabbit hole of social media, yeah, that particular beast that thing right there. Before we do, though, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, then first and foremost, why? It was fantastic and you have missed out. But don't worry, because you can go and rectify that. And I highly recommend you do. Last week, we looked at monkeys and brain implants and Neuralink and what they are doing in terms of moving us forward into an inevitable world of transhumanism where humanity meets technology and there seems to be no stopping it. With the help of the wonderful Chris Cook from the Beyond Binary Thinking podcast, we had a little bit of a riff. On that particular topic, and we took it into some interesting areas. Prospect of monkey esport champions and self driving cars with an intelligence that is just terrifying, to the idea and very real possibility of uploading your mind and your soul to the cloud. Yeah, absolutely infinitely curious territory and a little bit terrifying as well. So, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, do yourself a favor and go and check it out. As for this week's episode, this is going to be part one of two because the conversation that I had with our special guest here, Dr. Lauren Serbico, was so fantastic that I just had to break it into two separate episodes. Too much good stuff to squish into one little episode, so we're expanding it and breaking it into two. At the tail end of last week's show, teeing this particular episode up, Dr. Lauren has a PhD in psychology, but rather than go the therapy route, she's gone the research route. And in particular, her niche field of study is online communities and online networks. So, yeah, she's pretty much an expert when it comes to social media. In this week's episode, in the first part of two, we are going to be touching upon social media, but we're also going to be looking at working at home, remote working, and some some really healthy, helpful conversation there about how to sort of separate your home office from your actual home. Ideas of sort of uh, responsibility and culpability with your workload. Kind of digging into procrastination and perfection. Which is very much, the latter is very much a core subject of both episodes. And I really built this whole thing around a phrase you're going to hear a lot in the next two weeks. And that is chasing the unicorn. What I mean by that is pursuing the very unhealthy and unrealistic ideal of perfection. The idea that perfection is a real thing, a tangible thing, an achievable thing, and our constant strive towards it, because we all do it at times. Even the most mindful, the most centered, the most conscious people do fall into cycles and pitfalls where they find themselves mixing in with ideas and practices of comparative behavior, particularly online. As we go deeper into the conversation with Dr. Lauren, you're going to hear more about this. But as I say, there's going to be some other stuff as well. So ideas to help with working at home, culpability, kind of making sure that you are on top of yourself, you know, productivity, but at the same time, allowing space for you, allowing space to be, finding a balance. Balance is such a huge thing to me. It's something that I am always striving for and I'm always in a fight to achieve it seems, so I personally found this conversation, and the one you're going to hear next week, genuinely really really helpful, and hopefully you guys are going to get some really good stuff from it too, I say hopefully, there's no hope, you are, it's a cracking conversation with Dov Lawrence Serpico and I'm not going to waste any more time let's jump into it guys, this is part one of part two, and I'll see you on the other side, enjoy <music> have you been doing your what is it the wfh thing today
0: um yeah so that's virtual so i pre-recorded everything oh cool so they had their wellness tent open today so that's where i had like a stretch led that lived on my instagram tv I'm Uh i'm not sure how they're doing like the featured speakers and stuff but i have a talk tomorrow where i just talk a little bit about working from home and kind of my field of psychology that isn't therapy and is more focused on social media
1: yeah, that's cool. I imagine, I suppose, especially in the last year, uh, there's there's more, I suppose, interest in attendees for, for, for talks and seminars and stuff about working from home and what have you. Because, I mean, it's obviously been a thing before this, but you've obviously had a much larger influx in the last year.
0: I've only worked remote. Like, as long as I've been in a professional field, I've been, and I just took for granted, like, how intrinsic it's been for me because now I'm learning Mm. from like other people that I work with or people that are like forced to do it now like the challenges they face when they are working from home so it's something that I really like it was such a natural progression that that never really changed for me on my professional end so I feel like I've been definitely a source of knowledge for so many people or just support and teaching them how to do it or how I've done it but you really have to have a certain personality trait of like being able to take initiative and schedule your time. Otherwise like too much flexibility and too much freedom, like doesn't mesh well with the way that some people work.
1: Absolutely. Like speaking with, with people back home and stuff, um, some people have really taken to it because they were pretty good within their jobs anyway, like whether they were sort of high up in their departments or they just worked off to the side at kind of making their own schedule as long as they kind of had things that they had to have done by the end of the week they were pretty good at just being like okay so we're going to break it down like this but other people who kind of just and it's no disparaging remarks to how they work everybody works differently but some people just do work better when they have a sort of timetable or a schedule or things put in place for them to kind of tick off. So yeah, I imagine there's been a big learning curve for a lot of folks.
0: Or even if they're in a different location, because that was the the struggle for me in the beginning was I lived in a studio before this. So it was like my space to work and to also work out and to relax and to cook. So like working yeah. at the library or walking at a coffee shop, so many of those things were closed. So just like locationally being able to like bring myself to a place of work and then shut that part of my brain off when it's time to unwind right like oh there's something else I should work on but I'm even realizing now like working with certain teammates and being like why aren't they delivering what I expect them to deliver happiness is working and I'm like well maybe when they're at the meeting that they were just like on their phones or something like maybe they weren't actually paying (laughs) attention at this meeting and that's why I have to this again like I don't know what's going on behind that screen so maybe even just like the people who aren't quite as motivated to do things like they just work better, like almost in a school-like setting where they know they have a supervisor there watching them where they can't be scrolling on their phone as much or whatever it may be.
1: This is true. Um, yeah, like I <laughs> I will find that when, when this first started and I was just at home um, without a job, just working for stuff and trying to get this up off the ground, I would procrastinate like crazy because it's like, I used to work in an office where my supervisor, it was like a fish tank. Like yeah. his, he had like a separate little office with like a big window and he could look over and see straight at you. So if you just looked like you were just dicking about on Facebook or something, you could just probably tell. I didn't have that here. I was just like, eh, I can do whatever I want. It's exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> There's no fear of reprimanding.
0: Yeah, and it's hard too when it's like a project that you're working on building your own because there really are no timelines or expectations mm. and you're like, oh, this is fine. And I feel like also perfectionism oh, big time. sneaks up there too where you're feeling, okay, well, I'm not going to do this right now because I'm afraid it's not going to be that good. So I'm just not going to do it at all. Like, mm. I feel that so strongly. So it's like, sometimes just like setting aside time of like, well, I'm going to just work on this for 20 minutes or giving yourself like very small, specific tasks to get done rather than sometimes having that big picture of like, I have to do it all right now.
1: Absolutely. Hold on. I'm going to show you something. Uh, Because this is genuinely really good. And I think this is really helpful to a lot of people that are maybe still struggling a little bit. And this is something that I've only just discovered. I can't find it exactly. But so my other big problem, aside from procrastinating initially, was once I got into this, and once I got off the ground with what I was doing, and had an idea of okay, so this needs done and, and A, B, C, D, et cetera, all the others. I found myself, and I do this with a lot of other projects, once I'm in it, I'm in it, like, I can be in it all day. Yeah. And I can spend, I can literally get to the end of the day and think, oh, I wanted to do those other things, but I just got lost in that rabbit hole of doing this other thing, like working on a- artwork for one episode for like four hours. And I'm like, I didn't need to do yeah. that. So what I'm doing now, or I'm trying to do, it's still very much a learning curve, is I am doing little, I'm just going to just listen as if this does make it as extra material. I'm showing Lauren my little notebook. It's like a series of little jobs to do, but with circles and squares, and they all correlate to different aspects. And I leave them unfilled until I do them. And so I will break them down either on a weekly basis or a daily basis if need be. And then I can kind of just color them in. And it's just like that is that weird little sort of tactile satisfaction of saying, I've colored that circle in, I've got that job done. So now I can move on to the next thing.
0: The key to any of my successes are colored pens. (laughs) Yes. And that's literally like, I always just have things written in different colors, different places, because. I think checklist, I forget what study it was or where it was, but it was some emergency room or really high stress situations. And like the key to success was just coming down to like a simple checklist. And now it's yeah. in so many different places where it might sound silly because it's so minuscule, but just mm-hmm. having a checklist of the things that you have to get done helps keep you focused and structured because then you might go off on a tangent, but like visually seeing the other things that you have to get done and knowing like, okay, well, This could be pushed off because this is a weekly goal or this, Mm -hmm. you know, this could get done tomorrow or let me, let me take a pause here, go for a walk and come back because then sometimes I found, because I'm always wearing different hats, I'm doing a million different things in a day. It's not even the different tasks that can exhaust you. It's the energy that it takes switching from one to another.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's something that you don't often get um, to hear people talk about, but yeah, that does sort of sap you with energy moving from one headspace to a next, even if they're within similar fields, you know, cause you're having to adapt.
0: Working remote. That's definitely a challenge that you feel. And in having like one of my jobs that's remote, my, my boss liked having so many different meetings, but the meetings were kind of catered to everyone's different schedules and stuff. So just say you're meeting at eight o'clock in the morning, but this isn't really work that you were going to do until one o'clock. So now you started your brain with eight o'clock, then you're shifting energy to go into another project. And then you go back at one, you're already so exhausted from doing all that flip-flopping rather than just kind of condensing, okay, well, when I work on these things, it's going to be be between one and three, or if I work on something else and really accounting for that energy shift of in that transitional time is when I'm going to have my lunch or when I'm going to have a cup of coffee. So you're, you're preparing for that and you're not just forcing yourself from one task to another, because that's how I think by the end of the day, you're just like, what is anything?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it does help. I think it helps. uh, It's definitely helped me. What has also really helped me and and something you touched upon, which is really interesting is finding Space and time to do things that aren't productivity related, so one thing as I was saying, I can lose myself in tasks and then just not give myself the time I need for myself. so I've made certain little rules um and this kind of this will tie into how our paths crossed actually is I've been making little rules for myself and I'm not too strict on myself if I break them, but they're just guidelines that's maybe a better word to use actually rules is maybe a little too regimented. But one of them is to to give myself at least an hour of just no work downtime before even thinking about going to bed, just so I can switch my brain off. So I've had plenty of time to get what I want to get done today. Think about what's coming next, but allow myself some space to just breathe and just, just be. Um And... The other is just breaking up my day, making time for other things that aren't this. And it's difficult, especially when you do everything yourself and uh, you've got a lot of things to do. But it's, it's important to, to kind of make the time for yourself. So that's something I'm trying to do more.
0: I feel like as a society, we're like so conditioned to like think that self-care is selfish or like taking mm. self is selfish. So breaking out of that mindset where you have to take time for yourself in order to be there for others or to be successful in what you're doing. Otherwise, you're just always in overdrive. One of the many Mm -hmm. hats I wear, I work for an app called O-Waves and it's a holistic day planner. So it shows your day as a circle and you can drag and drop different icons that represent different parts of your day. So that way you're not just scheduling things that you have to do you could schedule in sleep or eating or time with loved ones. And when we onboard someone new on the team, or when we're working with someone, we have them create their ideal day. So when school or work, you don't have these obligations, what would your day look like? What would you put in there? And this kind of ties into what you're saying of taking that time for yourself. Because when you're thinking about what that day would look like, it's really unlikely that someone's going to put Instagram in their in their day for three hours right. going through. You might put <laughs> taking a walk or painting or singing or maybe just these things that kind of go back to your childlike sense of self that make you feel happy. Sure. That, that cliche of do more things that make you forget to check your phone. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: then when you're scheduling your actual day and you start to see these blocks of time that you have open you may choose to go back to your ideal day and say, hey, I haven't really thought about painting in a little while. Maybe I'll do that with this chunk of time. Or, oh, you know, this this seems like a good time for me to go take a walk. So really getting in touch of what you want your day to look like. And obviously, a life without obligations, that, that's not necessarily natural, but you right. always are going to have those chunks in your day that that belong to you. You know, no one should be working 12 hours around the clock, but prioritizing the things that make you feel good and that could really make you recharge your batteries then allow you to be more productive and be more effective at whatever it is that you're doing
1: I think you've really heard a key word there with prioritizing as well which is something we don't I mean I say collectively we and I mean that in the collective sense we don't prioritize as much as we should do some people do a lot more than others some people are trying to like myself um, some people just haven't really come around to thinking about doing it in the first place but it's definitely something I f- think from my layman's armchair psychology standpoint that we need to um we need to kind of do more of for ourselves
0: it's interesting because I feel like it's typ- it's like typically times of struggle that make you prioritize yourself like if if you get sick or if someone you love like it's usually like the the traumatic things that like force this upon you so if we've kind of learned anything from a global pandemic, which is just traumatizing for all of us as a collective whole, then mm-hmm. maybe, maybe these good nuggets will come out of it because it, it's forcing us to think differently about different things. So maybe having to work from home or structuring your day different is making these things that we're talking about come to people's awareness of, wow, I felt better when I did take this time for myself. I'm going to keep doing more of that, even as the world continues on in whatever way that it does. So hopefully we could, you know, find the silver linings and prioritize ourselves in a way that has been helpful. If that's ways that we're choosing to cope right now, you know, that's not, that's not the way everyone's thinking. I guess.
1: No, it's not. I, but I do, I do definitely agree with what you're saying. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's weird to sort of, paraphrase it as as the good thing to come from this because you know what I mean but there are good things to come from it and and I guess the fact that we've all collectively in in various different degrees had our backs against the wall and had to adjust has opened up a sense of perspective and has shown people what they're capable of doing what they're capable of going through um and and what actually matters to to people I think uh, whether that be within themselves, for themselves, or around themselves in terms of other people,
0: I think um my favorite kind of reframing technique of when I'm feeling frustrated or challenged is what is this trying to teach me because then it allows mm. you to think of things as a learning opportunity, you know not so much toxic positivity of oh, everything is wonderful, but what is what is the lesson or what is the challenge here, and if I overcome this what what did I learn from it? And then how can I take this knowledge mm. to then implement into my life to help me move forward and deal with whatever next challenge is there because if there's one we're always we're always going to be facing some type of challenge whether it's big or little or silly or serious whatever it is but it's it's how it's how you take it personal it's how you it's how you embrace it and move forward from it i think that really kind of defines the character of an individual
1: absolutely absolutely all right, I'm going to leave that as a prolonged intro end Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually like all of that is golden. Like I said, I think I'm going to get two episodes out of this. <laughs> that's
0: awesome.
1: Shortening my workload already. Yeah, Boom. I'm
0: here for you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um all right so let's kind of start from a very basis point I have on the top of my notes um an intro to to you Dr Lauren Serpico is in the house I'm here with her um already having a great time chatting with you but um just for listeners who might not know who you are uh who who are you and uh yeah let's get into that
0: Well, that multifaceted question, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can go as deep or as shallow as you want with your answer.
0: Well, I'll start with um, kind of what I do on a day to day. I am a psychology PhD. So I'm not a therapist. I went down the research route of psychology. I've recently graduated. And my my work is in the field of community psychology. So I decided to study the community of online social networks. And my interest and my love of this field began in about 2012, 2013 in a professional way. So on a technological timeline, that's really about the time that Instagram and Snapchat were just babies getting started. So I was really interested as a millennial myself of learning right. everything there is about this field. and. Going into college and going into my my professional world, I was always interested in social media or digital journalism, but with it being so new, it wasn't really a path I could choose to take of, oh, I'm going to study this. Yeah. I chose to study psychology because my love of social really won over my love of media. So I was lucky that, not lucky, mm. but keeping that passion in mind to allow those paths to cross after I really continued on in this psychology world and decided to pursue my master's and then my PhD. Because this is a a path that I feel like I'm kind of pioneering. The research in social media is so new. People often think that um, if you're working in social media, that you're really in more of a marketing role. So I take it from more of a scientific perspective. A lot of the clients or the, a lot of the accounts that I help with their social media are scientifically backed. So it's helpful having this knowledge of science in general to be able to communicate with the greater population in a way that's easily digestible. And then also understanding the social media science itself of what works, how to communicate with people, how to best display your message in a way that stops the scroll and informs people and can really add value to their life rather than take it away so that's an overview of who I am as a professional being
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay so you I just want to stop because there's a number of interesting points there uh, that I want to kind of touch upon already stop the scroll so is that is that a, a geared idea to create more productive use of social media more than passive
0: ideally I feel like. Um, when you think about mindlessness on social media, first of all, you're thinking of when you're on the app and you're like, when did I even get here? (laughs) When did I open this? (laughs) How long have I been here? So you're just kind of mindlessly going through and just information's coming at you rather than you actively Mm -hmm. engaging in it. So in creating content, and actually effectively connecting with your audience, you want them to see this piece of content and think, wow, this is something that I want to learn more about. And flipping that part of their brain on where they're not just like passively having media happening at them. They're they're turning on their, mm-hmm. their parts of their brain where they want to then engage and maybe remember what they've learned. How many things that you've seen on social media in a day where... If you could write down as a challenge five things that you've seen, can you remember them? And and often not because we're not we're not really actively engaged in what we're doing. We're just kind of going through the motions.
1: That's interesting. I'm going to pose that to listeners. There you go. That is a little challenge for you. So just think. Take a few minutes. Put this on pause. Don't don't stop it because you might get distracted with <laughs> something else. Just put it on pause and just think. Try and we'll we'll go. We'll start with three to begin with. And then if you can think of an additional two bonus points, then, then excellent. You may win a prize. You may not, but you may or may not. No promises.
0: <laughs> a, good, a good practice in getting better at this is each day writing down one thing that you've learned from social media. Mm. Because then at the end of the month, you, you've you learned 30, 31 new things. Then when you're you're like maybe this will be my cool thing that I learned today, right, there
1: you go, so there's there's a sense of intent there as well. if you kind of go in with that idea, it kind of helps as you say, stop the scroll, and it kind of puts that seed of okay, so let's let's try and get something from this other than just killing time totally cool um, so your background is in psychology, which leads me to ask, uh, are you able to read my mind <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I feel like that would be the most exhausting superpower to have. (laughs) If you think about all the thoughts you have yourself in a day and all you're telling yourself, imagine if you could hear what everyone else is thinking as well.
1: No, thanks. It's hard enough dealing with what's going on in here yeah. half the time. I don't want other people's intrusive thoughts coming in. I only ask that as a little joke, because if you, if you follow Lauren, if you don't, now's a great time to go and do so, but you will see occasionally that this seems to be a reoccurring question <laughs> that she seems unfortunately sort of plagued with. <laughs> um, is this is this generally something people have said to you, like when you've told them? Oh,
0: absolutely. I feel like psychology is a field that people don't typically understand, so... Whether it's reading my mind or the question that I get more often than reading your mind is, oh, you're analyzing me right now. Now, maybe now the fact that asked that question, (laughs) I'm thinking about, oh, well, why are they thinking that I'm analyzing? What do you have to hide? But like, no, this is why I didn't want to be a therapist because I didn't like. I'm I'm much happier in my own little research world. Um, I never really it wasn't like the the statistics and the data that excited me, but. I loved learning about social psychology and personality psychology. And when you think about all the information in your textbook, how to come from somewhere, that's when you start thinking more positively about research. And that's why I love connecting with young psychology students and showing them what the world of research is like. It's not just working in a lab crunching numbers. If you have a topic Mm -hmm. that you're passionate about, you could study that. You could research specifically and being so. a PhD is essentially being a creator of new knowledge because you're finding a gap in that research and you're the one to fill it.
1: I imagine that's a very rewarding um, sort of avenue to be able to sort of open up people that maybe are a little bit hesitant about the field of research and be like, look, as like you say, it's not just you and your lab coat <laughs> crunching numbers going through combs and combs of like data. You can specifically narrow it down to a niche area that you actually care about and dive into that and find out why that is what it is and how it works um yeah but that that's that's interesting that that you've had that pose to you like are you analyzing me it seems like a very quick hair trigger defense
0: <laughs> and it's fun too because in posting that 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 really does allow me to connect with a lot of psychology majors because mm-hmm. people see that and they pass it along <laughs> because you can all relate to it because if you study psychology someone has asked you that someone has wondered right. that so it allows me to kind of poke fun at that question and also in a way that helps me engage with that audience where it's like, okay, well now now that you see the things that I talk about, let me tell you a little bit more about how much fun re- <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a good foot in the door to be like, yeah, I, I totally feel that far more than I should do. Okay, let's see what else is going on here. I talked about guidelines and rules. One of the guidelines that I've set myself up for is 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 basically how we kind of got introduced on, on the gram is one thing that I personally have been trying to do more of is is stop the scroll, is kind of being more of a productive user. And I set myself a little goal a few weeks ago now, I think, uh, yeah. to no longer just heart people's posts because it's meaningless. I mean, it's nice and everybody's conditioned to that weird little micro reward system that we've been kind of cultivated yeah. to, to really thrive upon. Um, but really, there's there's no substance to it. It's nice, and it's but it's fleeting. So I came to the conclusion that I'm not going to do that anymore. If I like something, and I like it, like it, with a thumbs up or a heart or whatever, I'm going to let them know why, or at least put some kind of comment as to, to what it is that I like about that in the first place, rather than just be like, click, 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 click. And I think you saw that, and you made some comment, and then I looked on your profile, and then we got into... This post, which I'm looking at right now, which I absolutely love, says perfect does not exist. And that's the main crux of what I want to talk with you about today, Dr. Lauren, is the idea of perfect and comparative behavior. It exists, obviously, in the real world offline, but I think it's very prominent online. So yeah, perfect does not exist. Chasing the unicorn, the idea that everything has to be to a certain standard, we have to be as good as, if not better than the next person, especially if you're in a similar field as somebody. Uh, there is a, a somewhat competitive nature, you know, from, from the writing community to the indie podcast community. I see it. I see a lot of people linking up and being nice and paying compliments. But I also see quite a lot of, like, tech envy and set-up envy and just people posting very glamorous pictures of, of locations in, as, as Lauren can see. I don't have that going on. I've got like a a sort of tatty, cat-scratched red blanket behind me to absorb sound, and you know what? I'm all right with that. That's that's me. Um, But I feel like that's what we need to be looking at more of: is just embracing who you are instead of the image that you think you should
2: be.
0: Yeah, that is quality over quantity, right? And I think absolutely. Even just touching upon your original point of how we connected and that guideline that you said Mm -hmm. of. Actually, if you like something, why do you like it? I actually made one of my one of my first reels with something about that, and you know that song that's like tap tap tap, and yeah, like what, one of me is like just tapping through, going like this, and then another me shows up with glasses on, and I'm like, did you did you really just like that? Like like, it. like if you like it, why don't you just say something? If you just tap it through, so I think that's so important because in Instagram, just say or on social media, going back to this uniform. You want to be the unicorn that has a million followers, right? And Mm -hmm. everyone wants to grow on Instagram, but no one wants to connect. (laughs) No one wants to take the time to foster good relationships and to actually engage with other people. They just want more eyes on them. Well, why? What's the point of having this network? What's the point? What What is your why in being here? Because then once you start to define that, then your strategy will become more clear and that unicorn starts looking a little bit more realistic. So you have Mm. kind of like a vain idea of, oh, I just want all these followers to show I have all these followers. That really doesn't hold much substance to it. But if you want to grow your account because you want to use that as a platform to develop a course, or if you want to use that to connect your audience to different, different assets that you have. You want to have a highly engaged audience of people who genuinely care about your message. So that means that Mm -hmm. you should be learning from them and interacting and talking to them. So, you know, you know what they're struggling with and where you can help them or, you know, the things that you have in common or the differences that you have that you can learn from one another. So I think Really tuning into your why of anything that you're doing is a, is a good tip in kind of refining that unicorn search and that perfectionism. We talked earlier about perfectionism and procrastination and how often that mm-hmm. you'll put something off because you don't realize that it's really perfectionism that's driving that. But when you start thinking, well, why am I putting this off? Why don't I want to get started on this? What is the fear? Just always. And the, again, this is the science to me. This is the scientific mind that I, just always ask why. And if you, think you came to the answer, ask why one more time and see if there's another layer that you can get under there. And, and typically that helps provide clarity to the things that you're doing. And again, this takes a great deal of self-awareness. So this is a oh, sure. like self-aware person. Keep asking yourself why, and it kind of makes that unicorn a little bit more realistic of whatever it is for you that you're kind of chasing.
1: But you, re- you really do hit on, on something that I think is of the utmost importance with this. And it really is a case of quality, not quantity. Because if you can say you can reach, I don't know, just pull a f- figure out of thin air, 5,000 followers, right? And and you connect with, like, how many of those 5,000? How many of those 5,000 are actually going to go past the surface level of clicking a heart or even looking at what you're putting out in the first place? As compared to, say, a hundred, to so just pull another thing figure out. But those hundred people, you get to know a little bit gradually over time, and then you kind of get to, to know what they're about, and you they get to know what you're trying to do, and they get to know you a little bit. And there's more social in the social media. There's more interaction. I would
0: just have to say that a lot of people forget that it's called social media, not like like me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like media yeah
0: Yeah, you know like it becomes less about the social and more about me and that's that's not a community that's not a network anymore that's just the stage and it's unfortunate because so many of the big influencers you know you think like the Kardashians or the Jenners like it's just them on stage and they'll post this lipstick and then all of a sudden the lipstick sold out so we have these really big influencers that are kind of influencing us to think in a way where that's what's important. Mm-hmm. And that's what scares me about like future generations. And that's why I really just urge so many young students, especially science minded students to get involved in research, and social media and to think critically about what this platform is. Because like I said, I started in like the MySpace phase, or I started, On my AOL and semester. I was the person people would give their passwords to. So I'm doing HTML before I even knew what that was. But kids don't realize how fast this is moving and how new this is. And I feel like Gen Mm. Z, they get a lot of blame for that, but you don't choose when you're born. Like they don't have any, like they don't have any say in what the landscape that they were born into is. So who's giving them the tools to help navigate it? Rather than blaming them, let's work together to kind of figure it out. We're becoming more and more divided because we're talking about skinny jeans and how we part our hair. But like, let's help each other out here. Like, let's let's learn how to do this together because in ten years we're going to be the ones building the new things. In twenty years, their kids are going to start getting involved. So. If we don't kind of learn how to live with this and make this a better landscape now, then it's kind of a lost cause.
1: It's it's interesting because yeah, you touch upon on Gen Z. It's it's not the process which has changed because everybody who is born into a sort of uh zeitgeist as it were as, as a landscape, whether that be tech, whether that be cultural, whether that be social, has to adapt. A lot of these a lot of kids hit the ground running um and just have to keep up and it's it's a case of of dealing with what is current dealing with what framework and that's that's the difference it's not the process because we like people of my age went through certain technological changes I mean I'm sure when I was putting dial-up internet all the way up to the loft in my my old house my mum was like oh I don't know what's going on there um but it's 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 unfortunate that they do get sort of a finger of blame pointed at them for for the this and the misuse of it and, and the way that it's kind of misshapen, as it were, a little bit.
0: And I think it's also like the previous generation's feeling of like, Oh, I can't keep up with it, I can't understand. So you blame the things that you don't understand rather than trying to learn them of like, oh, those millennials, oh those Gen Z always oh, on your phone. But then some of them are so the other way where it's like how many parents you see that are on social media now are posting all these things. And it's so funny because my mom's social mm-hmm. media habits have changed so much and things that she's learned from me of how to post somewhere. she doesn't need to post 37 photos. She picks the one that she likes and she uses to post that at a time where she wants to post it. And I tell so many older people that I work with, I'm like, do you remember... Getting film developed and you had to wait for it and then you choose which ones go in the album like where did that mindset go? <laughs> why why are we posting every single thing as we do it? let's let, you could take the pictures, but let's enjoy where we are now and then and then go back to those memories and share what you want to share and that's just for personal use that's not even in a professional setting.
1: do you feel like that's something that we need to be looking at more? Uh, I think going forward with social media is more selective? behavior with what we actually put out you know that's actually quite a good analogy you take 37 photos and I think to a degree all of us that use it regularly are just like yeah instantly that'll go on there that'll (laughs) be whereas I think maybe and I can't really talk because at the minute I'm just throwing all sorts of shit on mine (laughs) (laughs) so I can't really like call anybody out for it but I do think maybe moving forward a healthy productive thing would be to be a little bit more selective with your content and output i
0: think mindful is a better frame and and i think the more mindful you are in daily life just of everything the more mindful your media use is going to be the more mindful you are in your scheduling in your nutrition and your in everything that you do i think mindfulness is kind of an all-encompassing skill set to have because the more mindful you become the more you kind of realize these different areas in your life that you you might not be as mindful. And technology is a is a huge place there because how quickly we can get lost down the wormhole of doing different things. And mm-hmm. when, when you're not being mindful, you're not typically thinking, Oh, I'm not being mindful right now. If you're able to have that awareness, then you actually are being mindful. I was talking right. to a coworker of mine and She was about to give some like seminar on mindfulness or going to one, but she was eating and she was doing something else. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so not being mindful right now. And they're like, by the very nature of you acknowledging it, you're being (laughs) pretty mindful. (laughs) So giving yourself credit for those little areas of realization, because each time you realize it or give yourself a cue, I, for scrolling on social media, I tend to pick something I see often. So to say videos of cute animals. When I'm scrolling and I see a video of a cute animal, that's my trigger in my brain. It's like, how long have I been here? Did I choose to come on this app? Like, had I just been scrolling for a while? And just training your brain in these different ways to learn things. So that definitely contributes to posting as well because Mm -hmm. whether you're doing it in... For me, I've been in the professional field of social media for so long. So if I didn't have mindful habits in my own social media use, I would have burned out. I would have been so tired of this field. I would have needed right. a break from it because you work in social media all day and then to use it in your own personal life, you just don't want to anymore. You're over it. But that doesn't really help you continue your education in that field or learn more about it or experience it. So it's, it's trying these things on your own that you can then bring into like a professional strategy. And that's why I feel like I found that balance of the things that I post between things I say. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'll share it. Or when I'm out in the moment, it's part of being mindful and enjoying my time taking a walk. Maybe I'll see something pretty I want to share later, but I don't feel like I have to stop right there, post it, do a caption. Just, just save it. It's not going anywhere. No one cares if this happened at 3 o'clock or 7 o'clock.
1: <laughs> if I don't know about it in the moment, it doesn't count. How
0: will they know?
1: <laughs> this is an authentic,
0: yeah.
2: I can
1: tell there. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's actually a good point Is is that, yeah. I think it's very easy to fall into a a trait of uh, of document. I mean, look, I love documenting stuff. I, I, I do a podcast for fuck's sake. I, I also wrote a travel memoir. So I just I'm the worst person to tell anyone not to to document stuff. But yeah, I like the idea of being uh, selective or trying to be selective. But as you say, it doesn't need to be done in the moment. If you see something that looks nice, I absolutely take a picture of it. But just put it away, enjoy it for what it is, be there, be present, and as you say. Uh, be mindful about it. Or try, you know. Uh,
0: how are you going to document this moment and talk about the moment? Well, when you were in the moment, <laughs> all you just do <laughs> you don't really have much left to talk about it. That but that's way. when I pull
1: out my memo uh, on my phone and I just record a slight yeah. thing about how right now I'm not going to post this, guys, but I want to tell you how I'm feeling about deciding not to post it. <laughs> so
0: so, now you're
1: yeah. <laughs> so Now we're going like inception <laughs> levels deep into <laughs> into the rabbit hole I can no longer see daylight anymore
0: I don't know how I got here exactly
1: how did I get here where am I
0: there's a difference between documenting for yourself and taking notes of the things you want to go back to than documenting for the whole world Mm -hmm. and I feel like I feel like the strongest things that perform on social media have an aspect of storytelling Mm. to it and I that's really hard to capture if you're just doing things in the moment maybe if people know the context of a greater story of your life or your account they might understand how these things tie in but if you document things as they're going on for yourself then you can tie the pieces together where then you can present it in a way where you're again you're stopping the scroll you stand out 20 people on someone's feet could have gone for a walk today why is your why is yours important we have to think on social media too everyone's intrinsically selfish yeah. everyone's on the- for what's in it for right. me so once you kind of flip the switch and you share things that's important to others it's not really the things that you find cool anymore it's the things that you think the people following you will find cool you can be a part of that
1: so to tap into that real quick do you do you would you advise uh, like in terms of just not only just cultivating your own status on social media but your own sort of mental well-being and peace of mind to kind of share things other people make as well. So not just like resharing stuff that you've taken, but like things that you've found through other people's profiles and as well as commenting, like share them in your stories, et cetera. Be like, oh, this is really cool. If you like some of the stuff I've done, you might be interested. Or even if it's just like, I, I really love this, this is ace. And then just share that.
0: That's how you build a community. That's how you build a network. If you find something interesting and you have a network of people following you for a specific reason, They'll find that interesting too. And mm-hmm. that person that you shared might share something of yours to their followers. And that's how you expand your network. And that's how you find new things. If you learn something, if you found something valuable. And I think sometimes when we share something on our story, you just say, I would say more than half the times we just share it, we just put it up on the story. A smaller group of us might actually tag the person that they found it with. So they get a DM that says, Oh, they right. tagged you in the story. But an even smaller fraction, and I think an even more wonderful habit to get into is saying, I found this post and I really liked this about it. Or I found this account. Why are you sharing it? Why is it possible
1: Yeah, again, yeah. why are you liking it? Yeah. I think that also goes a long way to making the whole experience um, more um Outside rather than insular, because it's it's not only stuff that you haven't created, but it's giving other people an insight into why you like something else that somebody else has put out there.
0: And it might inspire a different type of thought that someone might not have seen, or maybe they see it and they think something differently, and then that'll start a conversation between you and someone else on someone else's content. So maybe it's not necessarily your content that you're talking about, but now you're forming a new right. relationship or a new connection with someone who's talking about something that you've shared. So. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's this like online portfolio that we have of things that we find and things that we create. And the more that you kind of think of it as such, rather than just a stage or a showcase, that's when like that social part happens because of the media. Just going back to what it is, is social media.
1: <laughs> yeah, putting the social back into social media.
0: Yeah, that should be a bumper sticker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it really should. I love, I love,
2: I love. I love carpet. I love desk. Are you just looking at things and saying that you love them? I love carpet. I love carpet. I love desk. I love lamp. Do you really love the lamp
1: or are you just saying it because you saw it? I love Liam. I love Lair. Bow, 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 All right, gang. So there you go. That is part one of two of our conversation with the wonderful Dr. Lauren Servico. I did state, I believe, at the top of the show that she is a bona fide expert in her field. And I think now that you've reached this point of the episode, you can understand why I made such a bold claim. Absolutely cracking conversation with Dr. Lauren, getting into some really interesting and, dare I say, important issues. but. If you think this week's episode was good, oh boy, just wait, you better tap in to next week's episode. See what I did there? Yeah, we're going to be digging deeper into some of the previously established themes and ideas on this episode, but going, yeah, we're into it with much more depth. And we're going to be opening it up to some interesting areas. So the main focus is on Chasing the Unicorn, the idea of comparative behaviour online but we're also looking at just the use of the internet and social media as a whole, and asking the multi-dimensional question of, is social media actually a bad thing? To which there are many cases for and against, and there is plenty of space in between those two hard polar opposites. In this episode, we did touch upon Gen Z. In the next episode, we're going to be... Digging into that even further, because I do genuinely feel that is an important discussion to be had. And the areas we take it are really fascinating. We're going to be looking at the double-edged sort of micro content. So Instagram Reels or TikTok as an entire platform. The idea of how creative content is being made with restrictions and parameters, but it is feeding into a short attention span. We're also going to be looking at just social media use as a whole on the younger demographic and how that is possibly speeding up childhood, how that is maybe taking away a sense of naivety and just childlike wonder because there is this expectation and pressure. So yeah, a lot of really interesting and as I say, kind of important areas we're going to be diving into next week. So do make sure you check it out. Speaking of amazing things that you really do need to check out, you can find more of Dr. Lauren's insightful, fascinating, and all-round fantastic content over on Instagram. You can find her at dr. Serpico. You can also, if you have a look in the show notes, you can find a link to it there and a link to everything else related to Dr. Lauren and what she has got going on over in the show notes, either on the website, dot outcom or in the show notes. On the very device you are listening to, and if you take a second whilst you're there, you will also see a whole bunch of links related to what we're doing here at Dined Out. You will see our coffee page link which allows you to give a one-off donation if you want to do that. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here or in previous episodes and you want to help support the show, that is an option available to you. If you really like what you've heard and you want more content, you just crave it, you need it then that is an option available to you as well via our Patreon page. You can see a link for that in the show notes as well. Of course, the most tried, trued, and tested method of supporting what we're doing here at Out is simply to subscribe if you haven't done so already. We're available on your favorite podcast platform. Just seek us out. I mean, presumably you've already done that, so just go ahead and click the subscribe button. Not only does that help us out somehow, some way with algorithms and internet magic and alchemy, I should have really asked Dr. Lauren about that. She probably knows how this works. It helps us out enormously and it also allows you to get every single episode moving forward without having to do anything else. Just a one-time action. Brilliant. Ratings and reviews, of course, help tremendously as well. So if you want to help us out even further and spend just a few moments of your time, you could give us a rating and or a review. And that also does all the internet stuff that makes us better. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. It it helps, I know that much. And on that very clueless note, that about does it for this week's episode. As always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves, look after each other, and until next time, keep it dimed out.